Welcome back to the podcast. My name is Nick Finzer, and I'm very excited to share today a great conversation that I got to have with Brian Zimmerman, uh, who is the Jazz Is Digital Editor at Jazz's Magazine. And uh, Jazz's Magazine is a fantastic magazine that we've been partnering partnering with with Outside in Music for the last oh year or so. Uh, definitely throughout most of 2020 and uh, we're excited to uh, share this interview I did with them uh, back in April so a fresh take on the quarantine life that was to follow but um, it was a really great conversation and uh, one of the first that they did back when they started this series back in April March or April of 2020 and I was excited to be part of it so hope you enjoyed the conversation check out Jazz's magazine they're doing great work sharing music of not only our artists that I cited music but lots of great uh, music throughout the jazz world so please check out Jazz's magazine and enjoy the conversation well like I said I'm very excited to talk to today's guest you mentioned he's a personal friend and an all-around amazing human being. Please welcome Nick Finzer. Hey, Brian. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Sorry you had to wait so long backstage, but uh, it's good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. My first question is just always, how are you doing? I, I check in mentally, physically. How are you coping with this? How have you things been going? What are you binge watching? What's going on? Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I think the first couple of weeks of this situation, I was uh, doing okay. And then it started to sink in later on for me. It wasn't like an immediate thing. And I'm just yeah. like, okay, okay, yes, all right. So it was like a slow glide landing down to, to reality, I think, for me. But um, I'm doing good. I'm just keeping busy with a lot of projects and um, I'm still teaching. Uh, so I'm keeping busy with my students and. Uh, I'm just trying to do as much as I can to have positive things happening for, for the artists on the label and for my music and just trying to keep it rolling. That's excellent, man. And like you say, you have the teaching and we'll get into that. Uh, you are an assistant professor at uh, uh, University of North Texas. So it's very fortunate that you have that gig. Have you been doing any of the trendy, you know, lockdown stuff, baking the bread, making the creamy coffee, watching the Tiger King? you know, handstand challenge. Oh, no, I haven't done challenges. <laughs> I, I've, I've been saying this to people. We've been doing some artist check-ins with the label, doing uh, like six, seven artists at a time. And we've been talking about this, uh, things to watch, like the Tiger King. I did binge watch the Tiger King. Nice. Even the new episode with Joel McHale, where he talks about the, oh, oh man, there's a new one. Oh, no, I didn't see the new one. I was like, I thought I was done with the Tiger King. <laughs> You're never done with the Tiger King, Nick. <laughs> that's so funny yeah but i did watch it but good man I, but i'm not i'm not a challenge doer i guess I'm that's more good a challenge giver <laughs> well and you you are a runner and i understand that's been helping you cope with things it's good to get physical get moving it really does help yeah we were yeah we were talking about that yesterday uh and i was i've been trying to get back to it i kind of took a while off i hurt my knee a couple of years ago but i've been getting back into it and I'm just trying to up my average there uh, you go so it's been good we were talking beforehand. Yeah, you. We are both runners. I though you've got long gazelle-like legs. You're. I don't know how tall you are. Seven hundred feet tall. I'm short and stumpy. I ran my first marathon in October. That's so amazing. It well, Nick. If you remember back in the day, we can think back to a golden era where October was relatively cool. Oh sure. Here in Florida, it was like ninety-five degrees. I 
limped through the end of that thing. I was so cramped. You see those videos where people like collapse at the finish line? That was literally me, man. It was not pretty. But hey, I got it done. Put the sticker on the back of that car. Exactly. All good. Well, Nick, man, uh, you are, believe it or not, the first trombonist we've had on the show. Oh, yes, I know. Well, thank you. I'm glad. And um, I'm glad we're starting with you. You know, I've heard trombone is actually the closest sounding instrument in terms of range and tone and timbre to the male human voice. Is there any truth to that? I think so. I think that's uh, been true for a long time. There's a lot of people who have talked about that. Duke Ellington used to talk about it. And right. Tricky Sam, Joe Nanton from his band, you know, he was the one that started kind of this pixie plunger mute thing that's been ongoing through through since then and um lawrence brown was another person that talked about how close it was to the human voice and i i, I think it stems all the way back to to that era of ellington but um uh, yeah it's almost exactly the singing range of a yeah. my voice i mean i can play higher than i can sing but uh yeah no it's true yeah and i think that explains like you were saying, some of the instruments popularity during the 20s and 30s and 40s. It was an immensely popular instrument, which was a time also of jazz crooners, you know. Um, and then, I don't know, the sex appeal of the trumpet and the saxophone and guitar and jazz kind of took over. And I just feel like trombone is a misunderstood instrument now. It reminds me of the the roadkill joke. Have you heard that one? Oh, no. there's always so many trombone jokes. Oh, man. Dare I say the roadkill joke? You go for it. You should <laughs> You're going to make me do it. The difference between roadkill and a jazz trombonist. <laughs> oh, no. The roadkill was probably on its way to a gig. Uh, I'm just kidding. I joke. I joke. I joke. You are proof that that is certainly not the case. But, um, you know, I do feel like jazz trombone, it's it's a misunderstood instrument. So I'm, I'm wondering if you could help our listeners out who might not be, you know, as well versed in jazz trombone. Mm-hmm. You are a teacher. If you were given a jazz trombone 101 course, if you know you want to get a feel for this instrument in jazz, start here. What are some of the top albums that you recommend? Ooh, I'm usually thinking about it from, like you said, like a teacher perspective. What are the best albums to to check out jazz trombone vocabulary and to get you know information out of them? But yeah, listeners, um, man. Uh, well, I'm going to bring up Lawrence Brown. He was like not only a fantastic trombonist and really a pioneer of the instrument and Ellington band member, but also he would sing too. And he uh, put out a record in 1950, mid 1950s. It's called Slide Trombone. And it's really okay. a pretty fun album. And I would send people there. I would send people to Wycliffe Gordon. I fell yeah. in with um, Sliding Home. That was a great one for me. Um, I think some classic JJ Johnson records that show you just- JJ's like, gotta be in there. Yeah, the beautiful yeah. tone of the trombone. Uh, and that would be, for me, J.J. in person or the eminent J.J. Johnson. Any of those records will give you that. And then I would show you maybe um, Jack Teagarden, another, maybe going back a little bit, another person that would sing and play. Uh, all of his music is basically on compilations at this point. So it might be hard to find the original LPs. So I would just send them to, there's a couple of really great uh, YouTube videos of Jack that I might show them. Cool. And uh and then I've got to give it up to like my teachers, Steve Teray and uh, Wycliffe. I said Wycliffe already, but Steve Teray and Steve Davis, they have so many great records. I would pick one just to show them the range of the trombone, like how beautiful it can be. Also how 
like raucous it can be, you know, that's mm -hmm. where people put it. You know, I, I get on gigs a lot of times. Uh, oh, I never knew that the trombone could sound like that. And I'm like, I know it's a positive thing. But <laughs> I think that the trombone sounded like exactly. And I think it's just, you know, the tailgate tradition and the, yeah. the, the um, just kind of people think it's loud all the time sometimes, but it can be and put in the wrong hands. It can be a devastating. <laughs> it could be an instrument of war, yeah. uh, but, but it is. So it's, it's an incredibly expressive instrument. And I don't think people realize how difficult it is to, to play some of the idioms of modern jazz, like bebop, some of the super fast stuff. Do you think about it? You're working with a slide. You know, as a treble player, you press a button and you get a new note. Mm -hmm. Guitar player, you press a fret. Sax player, you you're talking about, you know, an eighth of an inch movements. You've got to articulate every note almost on that thing as you're flying through bebop passages. It's very, very difficult. Yeah, so, he, yeah, my teacher, Steve Trey, he used to be like, yeah, play, he would be talking to maybe a saxophone player or a trumpet player. He'd be like, you try that, but tongue every single note. That's what we have to do. <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. And you've got a lot of distance to cover with that slide. <laughs> I try to eliminate it as much as possible. But. Yeah, yeah. So hats off to you and the you know the rest of the jazz trombone players because it ain't easy. It ain't easy. Nick, you mentioned Wycliffe Gordon, and I know he was an, e an early mentor for you. Um, you went to the Eastman School of Music. Mm -hmm. Talk about that mentorship a little bit because I understand you guys met and – you know, he was so impressed. He wound up writing tunes for you. Yeah. So I was, I first met him when I was in high school, he was coming through, there was a club in downtown Rochester where I grew up and uh, I went to meet him there and played. We hung out on the break and played a little bit. And then we started a relationship. He was going to try to help me figure out how to get to New York and go to Juilliard. And so I started coming down to his apartment for lessons. Uh, it didn't work out. I didn't get into Juilliard, which was okay. I think it worked out for the best. But um, so during that time in Rochester, there was a great organization called, um, what was it called? The Commission Project uh, okay. by a great guy named Ned Corman. And Ned had been a supporter of mine through high school and was seeing me kind of come up. And he asked, hey, is there anyone that you would want to write music for you? And I was like, well, I don't have a band. I don't what do you mean write music for me? And he's like, it's not just anyone. Who who would you want to do it? And I was like, oh, I don't know, Wycliffe Gordon. And I just kind of threw it out there. And then a week later, we had a phone call with him and Wycliffe and saying like, all right, I want you to write Nick uh, a piece every year for four years while he's in school uh, at Eastman. And so Nick, what what band do you want? And so we just talked. Wow. So there were four pieces that he um, wrote for me. They were all... Um, they started as a like small group and kind of grew and there was one big band chart. And so uh, we've played them a couple times. He's recorded one of them. There was one it's called the Nick of time. And he uh, recorded it with Andre Hayward on a record. Uh, it's a while ago now, but, uh, but that was really cool. And so we've kind of stayed in touch over the years, but that was kind of the start of that, that whole thing. That's amazing. Do you have any of those in your noggin? Any of those tunes that Wycliffe wrote early on? I don't, uh, they're not in my noggin. <laughs> I know the title, the title stand out in my mind, but uh, I have them all in a, in a folder out in the other room. Cool, man. Yeah, he, a Wyclef. Oh, and here's my daughter. She's a fan too. Nice. Yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, go ask mommy. <laughs> Budding jazz trombone player. Hey, that's the way things are going these days. You know, you call up businesses and you hear like customer service. There's always kids crying in the background and so on and so forth. But, <laughs> that's right. We'll get her on trombone lessons soon enough. There we go. Um, I was going to say, you know, one of the things I like about 
you are obviously an incredibly talented remote player and improviser, but your writing is absolutely a strong suit, man. You are a, phen a phenomenal composer. Oh. Um, and, you know, you've got the two ASCAP Herb Alpert uh, awards for young uh, composers to prove it. Um, where that you'd win that twice, man. So kudos to you. And one of the things I love about your writing, especially when it comes to albums, is that you really kind of emphasize, you really stress the idea of having a concept, a broader concept for a jazz album, which I feel like is becoming a lost art. So many albums just feel like collections of tunes. Yours always feel holistic, you know, like completed holes. I'm thinking of, you know, there was a here and now, um, the recent one, which you were kind of taking ensembles of past generations, you know, capturing the energy of those past generations, like the John Coltrane Quartet, Duke Ellington ensemble, you know, Chicoria, and then filtering them through your modern, this generation's jazz sensibility. Um, similar with your album, No Arrival, which had this theme of like progress, right? There's no arrival, only the journey, you know, and a lot of the songs spoke to that. Your new album is Cast of Characters. I've been spinning it a lot. It's really, really good. What would you say the concept um, for that album is? Well, uh, it's funny that you took away from it uh, something different than I had I did with those pre previous records. Ah. Those previous records didn't have enough of that concept. That's really interesting for me to hear and good for me to hear. No, I, I felt it, man. Yeah. So, I mean, I always thought I had a little bit of a concept, but I really wanted to be overt this time and yeah. try to make this is going to be more of a concept thing. And so it's it's still kind of about that idea of a journey, but it's more about the people in your life that you encounter, whether that's mentors, whether it's family, whether it's love interest, you know, current or past or future. And and I wanted people to be able to put their own life experiences into like an archetype of a person. So I was thinking mm -hmm. more about like what it feels like to be mentored or what it feels like um, to, to, you know, miss a family member or what it feels like. And thinking about that feeling kind of as the inspiration for the characters rather than being like, well, this song is about this person and this song right. is about this person. So uh, that was the idea anyway. I don't know if it comes across necessarily, but that was the concept of the record. And then so I wrote a bunch of, character pieces and then kind of took them down to just the six that are on the record. And uh, I mean, some of them are about certain people, like one is about for Duke Ellington and his inspiration to me. Um, but then there's kind of these other pieces that kind of are more like the journey that gets you between these situations in life and between um, people, mentors, et cetera. And so then I kind of put it into a, a stream of what I thought was a nice you know, journey through the music, but also kind of tells a storyline if you read the titles a little yep. bit. And then um, I also wanted to make sure that I put it out in a way that could be easily digestible in small chunks, but also that it could be listened to all the way through. So I, I wanted all of those aspects. I don't know how successful it was at all of them, but at some of them, it was definitely successful. Totally. And what's great about you, you know, you're, you're so kind of savvy when it comes to the modern media landscape. Uh, you went above and beyond. Like I saw the video that you did for You'll Never Know the Alternative, which it, is that the correct name of the title? You'll Never Know the Alternative. It's a sequence of songs on the disc and you filmed the video for it. That's on YouTube. And in the description for the video, you know, you explain kind of what went into the thinking of that song and how it related to the concept and how it uh, speaks to this notion that you cannot get hung up on choices 
you know, the alternatives to choices that you made, because you'll never know what happened. And that spoke to me because I am the king. Anyone who's ever had to decide where to go to, you know, for dinner uh, knows that I am the king of second guessing myself. Exactly. So that was very cool to see you do that. You know, again, it takes the whole album concept idea, which was big back in the day, and translates it to a new medium, which is, you know, YouTube. So, and I know that's something you stress too in your online lessons. Um, people ask you, you know, what advice uh, can you give on making an album? And that's a recurring theme. It is. Um, so, Nick, I mean, you've got all these great albums out there. You're in you, the Anat Cohen Tentet. Uh, you've performed with Jazz and Lincoln Center Orchestra. Which did you see their uh, concert for our culture last night? You know, I didn't get to see it. So it was great, I man. Watch the, the recording. That is, uh, it has a jazz's recommends stamp of approval on it. it was It was great. Um, but you're you're a young guy. You're at the height of your career. What made you want to start a record label, man? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, I started it not thinking it was going to be much of anything back when I put out my very first record, um, a bunch of labels said no to the first one. And I okay. said, well, guess what? I'm going to do this myself. myself. So this would have made you how old? Because you're I, how old now? I'm 31 right now. Okay. I'll be 32 in May. So I'm almost 32, but okay. uh, <laughs> this would have been in 2012. So eight years ago. So 24. You're all of 24. Yeah. Starting your own record label. Pretty much when I, yeah, well, I was finishing up grad school. And so I was like, what should I do? But make a record. <laughs> you know, and, As you do. And so the, and I didn't think it was going to be anything. And I just started it. And then about four or five years later, after having the same conversation with lots of friends about how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this? Right. I realized it was faster if I just did it all myself. And so I was like, well, just let me, let me do it and send it to me and I'll just get it up for you. It's fine. Like I'll do it. And so then I was like, oh, this could be something. And when I, I before from 2014 to 16, I taught at, at Florida state university uh, up in Tallahassee. And I was teaching there one day a week or two days a week, something like that. And when I left that job, I decided I was going to kind of build up the record label as my kind of secondary to performing mission. And mm -hmm. that was 2016. And that's when I kind of started taking it more seriously and started talking to my friends like, hey, I'm really going to do this record label thing. And in 2017, I did Here and Now came out, which was my record. And I tried to really kind of start pushing from there. And then we've been doing 30 releases, 35 releases the last, it's 2019, 2018. So it's grown pretty fast, but it grew yeah. out of just wanting to help my friends basically. And uh it's taken on a life of its own, but I always like to say that it's a record label and media company because yep. I'm really always telling the artists that it's like, yeah, records are great, but it's only one part of the overall package of what you have to be thinking about. And sometimes we as artists for sure get caught up in the fact of just the music, just the music, just the music, just the music. So uh, I try to wake them up a little bit to other things and it's more or less receptive. Some people are more into it than others, but um that's, so that's what we're doing, and that's kind of how it started. And I think that's what distinguishes you guys is you're so on top of, you know, the media fluency, which is essential, you know, to success as a jazz musician these days. How much of your time, because again, you're, I don't know how you do it. You must have more hours in the day than the rest of us. How much of your time is devoted to the label um, compared to your teaching and playing? Oh, that's a good question. Um, 
I would say, well, right now the the playing is down to minimal. <laughs> well, yeah, minimal. But yeah. Uh, I don't know. It goes in waves. I think like during school, the busy parts of school, I'm mostly focused on teaching, and then uh, there's sometimes where I'm really really focused on the label, being able to do that. And it goes so for me, it goes in spurts. I'm gonna, I'm not so much good at balancing everything. I'm more good at like diving into one thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. So. Um, I now have a team that helps with the label. So it's not just me anymore. So I have two, two other people that are helping with the different things that we do. So that has been a life saver. I couldn't have grown it or kept it going without them. Yeah. So. Nice man. But I don't know, third, a third and a third. Okay. Hey, that's healthy. That's a good way to split it. Um, okay. So let's say, cause we've got some independent artists listening mm -hmm. and Hey, might want to shout out independent artists. We know you are listening. Check out our inside track program at jazzes.com. Nick knows all about it. We see his outside in stuff all the time. Um, and it winds up in our playlist and song of the day, so on and so forth. Nick will have an ad in our upcoming uh, summer 2020 issue. Oh, by the way, that reminds us, Nick, you're going to be among the first to see a sneak peek Ooh. of that cover. Do you want to take a look, folks listening? This is uh, the cover of our upcoming 2020 June, uh, summer 2020 issue. It is all about fusion. And there's the man, the myth, the legend, Chick yeah. Corea. Um, we've got an extended interview with him in this issue. Uh, and we're kind of playing off his Now He Sings, Now He Sobs cover. But the issue is all about fusion. It will be sent out to subscribers in June 2020. If you want to become a subscriber, now's a chance. We're offering three months of unlimited digital access um, to our website for just 99 cents per month. Plus, as a special, we're going to enroll you in, to receive one free quarterly print issue, and it's going to be this summer 2020 issue. So now is the time to sign up. Um, thanks for showing that, Jeff. And sorry to go on that tangent, Nick, but... Oh, I love Chick Corea. Wh what do you think of the cover? Pretty cool, huh? Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, man. So we got a long interview with Chick. Um, that's going to be... It's going to be a good issue. Um, I was going to say, so independent artists may be listening out there. Mm-hmm. They want to start a record or they want to, they want to release a record. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, just from your perspective, you've been in this business a while ballpark. How much time is it going to take? How much is it going to cost? Mm. And what are some of the, you know, unforeseen costs that may crop up during this process? Oh, sure. Um, well, the unforeseen costs usually come in the form of time and delays. So this <laughs> right. the other question which is how long is it going to take? You know, I've, I keep on pushing back a little bit against the artist to have longer lead times because, you know, let's, let's just take jazz as an example. You know, you guys do great, amazing online content that turns around really fast, but also the print magazine only comes out four, four times a year, right? Yep. It's quarterly. So if you want your magazine, you have to have it in six months, eight months, you know, ahead of time for them. It's gotta to be pretty early. Yeah. Or maybe, being able to cover it. So it's like, well, you have to have this materials together. So the biggest thing that artists don't realize is how much lead time that they need to have. That's the yeah. number one uh, thing that they struggle with. And so trying to get them thinking about that sooner. Um, generally, I didn't believe this ballpark cost when somebody told me, told it to me, but if you want to kind of hire every all, all the whole team and really do it well, um, you're looking somewhere 12 to $14,000 all in. If you want to hire the team, do you have to hire the traditional publicist and radio person? Right. You don't have to, but to me, I've always felt like if you want to participate in the industry, you have to play by the rules. Um, 
and also break the rules, but you have to at least, you know, at some point get in front of the people who care about jazz, which is the jazz industry. And uh, so I, that's what I tell the artists that like, you don't have to spend all of your money on one project. However, you should think about that. This, these are the people you want to reach. This is the way that you reach them. And this is what it will cost if you decide to, to do it. But I always tell artists, the biggest thing is to live to fight another day because you can't put out one record. Because if you put it, there's how many artists could you look through a bin of like, oh yeah, one record, one record, one record or two records. But it's the people right. that make five, 10, 25 records and they have a whole career of making music or that are the ones that we remember. So I try to give them more of a longitudinal uh, view of that. But I mean, obviously you can cut costs by, you know, asking your friends to play for free and things like that and trying to, you know, cut all the corners. But when it comes down to it, it's going to cost a bunch of money and you got to save up. You got to find grant resources and you got to find creative ways to do it. When I did my first record, I did a Kickstarter and that kind okay. of uh, kicked off that first record. I had my friends from school play on the record. And then I took every single dime from that record, put it towards the next record, every single dime from that next record, put it towards the next record. And it's just a slow kind of building uh, over that was 20, 12 2013 and now 2020 so it's just one thing after the next and like i said living to fight another day right man and how does you know aligning yourself with a label like outside in uh benefit in ways that just going about it yourself might not well we like to say that uh you know since it was great that the internet liberated everything but now kind of it's about curation again and mm -hmm. that, being part mm -hmm. of a community of like-minded artists can be beneficial in that you know we do artist events and we do sometimes we have another project coming out soon that we got a day in the studio had all the artists come in and play each other's music and we get and so it's a cross promotion kind of a thing and so being a part of a community having access to other people that are doing it i mean you can go on cd baby and put your stuff out but you're not going to have a direct conduit to the people uh that know the people in the industry so i say like well you know i do know some people i don't know everybody but you know i can get someone to call Spotify for you and I can get somebody yep. to call Apple music. Like we have an artist whose account uh, was mapped to instead of his name to a Russian rapper. And obviously <laughs> you don't want that. So uh, unless you're into Russian rap, man, you know, but he was like, oh, this is kind of a problem. So it's like it's nice that I can have a person. So I just like to say, you know, being part of a community and having access to people that um, you wouldn't normally have access to. Yeah. And just Man, the main thing I stress is just like the community and just having people to talk to and having people to associate themselves with, you know, a lot of the people that we put out their music are people are, I mean, it happens to be around my age and from New York at this point, it's because that's kind of my community, but, uh, uh, that those are the things that I stress because you can do everything on your own, but, um, you can learn something from doing it with, with some people that maybe have done it before. I agree, man. I agree. And, um, you know, now it's just weird times for everybody, you know, um, people trying to put out music, people trying to listen to music. Um, but is it especially tough time for independent artists, those gigs, which are the lifeblood of, you know, indie jazz musicians economy have all but dried up. Mm -hmm. um, what is Outside In doing at this moment to kind of help? And on the flip side of that, what can we do as listeners, as music consumers to help the independent musicians whose music, you know, give us so much joy? Well, the things that we're doing first is we're hosting every week, uh, we're calling them happy hour, quarantine happy hour chats. We've been nice. 
having the artists come on to be able to share what they're up to. A lot of them are doing live streams. A lot of them are doing concerts, being part of concert series, starting concert series. We have you know 60 or 70 artists at this point. So they're a lot, doing a lot of different things. And so we're trying to give them a platform to, to do that, to share what they're up to. And the other thing that we're doing is you know, starting a kind of like a white label service where if you're feeling like you don't want to be on a label, but you do want to get your music out and you're maybe doing some projects right now and don't know how to get the music out, don't have the 50 bucks to spend on CD Baby, that kind of pushes all the, the financial aspect to the back end so that they can get it out now and get it out for free. Wow. So we're doing that. Um, so a couple of things have come through, but uh, you know it takes a couple of weeks to get things moving onto Spotify and Apple Music and such. But we're doing that, so we're trying to open that up to as many people as possible. And as listeners of the music, the best thing you can do uh, is go to the artists' websites and get stuff from them directly. Okay. Uh, go watch the live streams and donate to them directly. Um, there's lots of grant opportunities, but they're they're closing so fast the artists most of the time aren't having a chance to even apply for them i know i know two that opened and closed on the same day this week and because there's so much need because uh, yeah. artists are you know mar on the margins of society and are kind of month to month week to week in terms of paychecks and stuff like that not all of them but you know many of them and uh, so the, as much as you can do to go directly to the artist, I mean, it's great. It's great if you listen on Spotify. It's great if you listen on Apple Music, download on iTunes. But if you just go one more step and get it right from them, they get a much bigger uh, piece of the pie when you do spend your 5 or $10. So uh, taking the extra two clicks to go to their website is super, super valuable to the artist. So if you have the time to do it, uh, all the artists I know would really, really appreciate it. Buy the CDs, buy the MP3s, buy the merch. Yeah, now is the time. You mentioned live streaming, and yes, now everyone it seems is you know live streaming. Um, but you were on top of the video lesson game, you know, way before anybody else. I mean, you you have really been doing this for a long time. I came in my research. I came across one recently. I think it was part of your what you call it, connect, create, create, connect. repeat. Yeah. Yes, series that you know I connected with just as a writer. It was a video where you talk about failing fast. Mm. You've got to fail fast and you've got to fail often, you know, to get through the bad ideas. Um, and so again, that lesson really spoke to me as a writer, as a, you know, media professional. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering for our people listening, because you are a teacher, when you go into a classroom, when you teach online, so on and so forth, you know, what are some of the biggest lessons you try to instill, not related to music, but related to something like creativity? that any of our listeners would be able to take away in their creative pursuits as they inevitably start their own live stream shows. Oh, sure. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but those big lessons that have to do with, you know, things outside of music. Yeah. So I usually try to instill two, two ideas into, you know, my students about these types of big picture ideas is one is you kind of went right to it is that you have to try a whole bunch of stuff and you have to keep moving and, uh, yeah. It, creativity is a practice. It's not a bolt of inspiration, you know, uh, at least for me and from my perspective, like when I'm in a flow of doing writing every day or practicing every day, uh, the creativity comes like, it's not from just waiting until a lightning bolt strikes and then I can write. And if I'm writing, I will write better music than if I wait, I wait. So I try to tell them it's, you got to do that. And then you have to do everything your teacher says. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. 
However, you have to take what everyone says and you have to create your own you know, vision and journey with that information. So I always tell my students, like, this is how I do it. And this is some other ways that other people do it. And now you need to do it for yourself and figure out what parts of my ideas work and what parts don't and what parts of, you know, this person's work. I said, because and I view this, whether it's playing the trombone or talking about writing music or talking about putting music out, there's everyone needs to kind of go into themselves and try to be 100% themselves because sometimes people are like, well, all I want to do is play standards and I don't know if anybody wants cares to hear it. And I said, well, no, it's inevitably going to sound exactly right you without you doing anything yeah whole conversation of like um i don't have a voice or i need to develop my voice or whatever it's like it comes naturally through studying having mentors and actually listening to yourself and trying to figure out what it is you want to say because we have you know the the should the shoulds are going to come and get you I, you know so like they could tell you to play this way or that way or write this or write that or create this but uh, you have to do what you want to do ultimately, or else, I mean, what are we doing all this for? That's how right. I think about it. But I hear you, man. There's no such thing as a perfect copy is what I've heard. Even if you try to do something, your fingerprints are all over it, you mm -hmm. know? And so it's still very much you. Very cool, man. Uh, Nick, where can people kind of follow along with what's going on with you and uh, outside in music? Because I know you've got a bunch of releases coming up. Where's the best place to follow along? Sure. So for me, uh, I'm probably most active on Instagram. So at Nick, okay. Nick Finzard is uh, where I'm posting everything about my own stuff and you can find YouTube videos, et cetera. And then outside of music, you can go to outsideofmusic.com and you can see all the new releases there. And uh, that's probably the best place to check out outside of music information. Um, but yeah, you can find all the other links in those from those places. So I'm not going to list a whole bunch of things. Cool beans, man. The new album cast of characters is out now. Buy it, folks. <laughs> Appreciate that. It is really good. Go ahead, check out Nick Finzer online and buy that album. Yeah, there. See, we get comments from folks online. Here's the Monarch music. Go to the Arbus website and buy the CDs and the merch. Now is the time. I couldn't agree more. Look, we're all live stream. We're all got those Zoom meetings. We want to look good. A nice artist T-shirt sticker. You know, you it's, a it's a way to do it. It's a conversation starter for sure. Nick Finzer, thank you so much for joining me on the brunch today. I really appreciate it, man. This, this, your insight is valuable, and I hope some of the you know independent artists listening certainly take it to heart because uh, you are a great teacher, and you know you have a lot of knowledge to share at all of thirty-one years old, man. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, Brian. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Be safe, be healthy, and uh, we'll be hearing from you, man. Cheers, Nick. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Guys.